a lavish God, a generous God. It's wonderful to have a Savior like that. Tonight I'm going to be reading from the, the King James. I brought it out again tonight. So, um, But we'll be looking at a, a few scriptures. Um, I'll be quoting more than we'll be actually reading, but I want us to turn to Ephesians to begin with. Um, Ephesians, that gem of the New Testament. Um, you know, the question I want to ask and I want to look at tonight is really, you know, what can we talk about our relationship with God? What can we say about it? Whenever I ask anyone, what's your relationship like with God? When we talk about a, a loved one or a relative or um, someone's kids, you know, what's their relationship like with God? And we often look at that type of question and we, we, we weigh it up and we evaluate it. How do we break it down? Do we create a list of do's and don'ts and a list, list of things that we're doing? Oh, I'm remembering to pray and I'm remembering to read the word and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And we, we often break it down into things that we do and things that we don't do. And sometimes we can get this perception of our relationship with God as a very up and down thing. One day I'm a great Christian and the next day I really struggle as a Christian. And that is our human nature. We're in a fallen man. I mean, I was reading today, actually, I should, probably shouldn't have been reading it, but I was reading an article and it was saying about most people when they have dreams, the biggest emotion they feel is anxiety. There's something in us that gravitates towards the negative. And sometimes as believers, we can have this tendency that if we don't pray today or we don't do our devotion or we don't do something that is spiritual, then we start to evaluate our relationship with God in terms of what we've done and what we haven't done. And it is natural and it's something that we do, but it's important to bring it back to a plumb line. Bring it back to the word of God. And let's say, what, what, this doesn't change. God doesn't change. Let's have a look at what he says about our relationship. Let's have a look at what he, how he evaluates us and our relationship with him. And if we come from that point of view, if we look at our Christian life from what does God say about our relationship with him, then we're never on the back foot. Then we're always accelerating we're always stepping forward. We're always confident. We're always enthusiastic because we know that our relationship with God isn't based on what I have done and what I haven't done, but it's based upon what he has done. And it's based upon what he says about us. You know, that is such a revelation to us as believers. We don't have to do the, you know, the four noble truths of Islam or, or we don't have to follow Buddhism. We don't have to struggle and strive to do something. Because out of a relationship with God, out of a simple relationship, that's what we're talking about. You know, the idea whenever you're talking to people about Christ and you're saying, and you mention the relationship and people say, oh, but the, the word having a relationship with Christ, a relationship with God isn't in the Bible. It might not say those words, but the image of it, but the message of it is throughout scripture. God wants to have a relationship with us. It's a wonderful truth. It's a wonderful revelation. Changes your life. Changes your outlook on everything from reading the word to praying to God. He wants a relationship. How is he going to speak to me? He's going to speak to me whenever I read his word. How am I going to speak to him when I pray to him? When I come to him in supplication? He changes my heart. He changes me. It's remarkable. Sometimes we're better, better Christians than we think we are. And sometimes we need more of his grace than we think we do. So I'm going to look at Ephesians 1. And this is uh, Ephesians 1 and verse 6. Now, Ephesians is a great book. It's not written as a, a response to any questions or issues that you know, 
Galatians and Colossians are written to. This is written to admonish believers. This is written to build us up. It's written to bring us from young Christians to adolescent Christians to mature Christians. People who can weather the storm. People who can put up with the things around us. People who aren't blown around and and worried about trivial things affecting the relationship with God. So I want to read Ephesians 1. uh, And I'm going to read a few verses. uh, 6 to 8. It says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Now you could go on, you could read the the whole book. It's a brilliant book. But I want to really just focus on that first verse. Uh, Ephesians 1, 6 says, To praise of the glory of, of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. That's what we're focusing on tonight, to be in accepted in the beloved. Wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. I'm going to start at the end and work my way back. Beloved. The beloved. It denotes intimacy. Denotes that place of knowledge, of familiarity, of conversation, that contact, that intimate knowledge of everything about we get a glimpse of this in our families. We get a glimpse of this in relationships. You know, if you're you know, looking at a, fa- a person you're very friendly with and they get into a relationship, you know, for example, Becky and her, her fiancé there, you know, you, you, everyone's all friendly with them. And then they get into a relationship and there's a wee bit of a distance. And that's all right. That's natural. But, you know, there's a knowledge and a, and a familiarity and a, a beloved relationship there. And it's something that now we are on the wee bit on the outside looking in. And that's a wee bit what we're hinting at here, this idea of being on the outside. There's awareness of things, of, of places that people are going, of knowledge of things they're planning for the future, a knowledge of things like that, which we don't know. But if you're in the beloved relationship, then you're in the know. You're in a place of intimacy with God. You know, I can remember back when we went to America for a few years, um, talking about a, a family relationships. And we had a, a moment uh, in our family, which probably wasn't a highlight. Um, it was a highlight for some reasons, but not for others. Uh, and um, we were in a situation that was quite uh, um, serious in many ways, and we were stressful. And uh, there was my mum and my dad, my brother and I, and our best mate was there. And the, the, this, the conversation kicked off, and, and things started to get heated. And, and for the life of me, I can't even remember what it was about. But I can remember the tensions were rising and the voices were rising and the the, the movements were becoming more energetic and we were building and building to a moment. And this American guy who was sitting there, who's our our mate, he was standing there going like, what are these dear Irishmen doing, you know? I mean, we were very close to walking out, you know? And uh, next thing you know, my dad grabbed a glass of water. And at the time, this was his universal sign that's time to end the argument. And he he threw it in someone's face. And... (laughs) <laughs> uh, that someone happened to be me, and uh, <laughs> uh, there needs to say there was tension, but that immediately uh, it actually dispelled the tension, and uh, it was a wake-up call for all of us. And uh, within moments, we went from a mo- we went from being in a heated argument to embracing each other in tears and, and saying we're sorry because we realized that it was our circumstances affecting how we were treating each other which is sometimes a good thing for us to know. But, but in that moment, we were, we've gone from one to the next, 
And we were embracing each other and crying and apologizing and all the rest. And still the American guy was wondering what was going on. <laughs> and that's the way of it sometimes if we're outside of the beloved, outside of that intimacy, outside of that, there's a knowledge, there's a, an understanding, you know, as, I, as Sharon and I are getting closer, you, you get to know the size, the looks, you know, it, it, you, you all know that type of thing, it happens every day, I don't always understand it or take it the right way, but it happens, it, it's a fact of life, um, <laughs> so Paul here is talking about uh, the beloved it's a relationship in heaven. He's talking about that beloved relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Something that we have a wee bit of a glimpse at in our own personal relationships. Not a full understanding because our relationships break down and we throw glasses of water in each other's faces. But we have an image. In 1 John, we'll turn, I'll just turn over, it's a couple of pages over to the right there. Talks about Talking about God, 1 John 4, verse this is 7 and 8. And it says, Beloved, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And he that loveth not, uh, knoweth not God, for God is love. God is love. This is his starting point with all things. See, God is a God in relationship <laughs> He's a God who's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We, I'm not going to explain all that because it's hard to explain, but we know he's in relationship. It's his desire to be in relationship. And he's God of love. His first thought, his last thought, is the thought of love. His starting point for all his actions, whether it's from creation right through to the, the revelation, has always been thoughts of love. Sometimes we can become filled with ideas of, of uh, he's a God of law, he's a God of justice. And he is, don't get me wrong, he is. But his first thought is a thought of love, because he is a God of love. God starts all things from this point of view, from this foundation. He creates because he loves. He wants to show his love. So he creates that he can pour out his love. He is in a relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and a relationship with us because he loves. This is the start. Remember the moment whenever Peter had betrayed him and, and later on at the seashore, whenever Jesus is making a barbecue and the, the disciples come around and he says to Peter, do you love me? The idea is love and reconciliation. This is God's whole theme. The whole theme throughout scripture is love and reconciliation. Yes, there is talk of judgment, there's talk of the law, and those things have their place because we cannot understand love unless we can see hate. We cannot understand grace unless we understand judgment. So God is a God of love. God is all about relationship. You know, it says in the beginning, God created in, in Genesis, all three parts of the, the Godhead were involved in creation. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All three working in perfect harmony. That beloved harmony. Have you ever had moments in your family maybe where you've had harmony and you've all gone, we want to do this as a family and we strive to do that. Now we're, we're struggling with that at the minute or we're, we're flowing in that at the minute with my mom and dad and going to America. 
uh, and we're all planning, what date suits? Does this date suit? And, but the thing is, whenever we're doing it and we're planning where we're going to stay and what we're going to drive, the overriding thing is that we are in harmony and we are striving, oh, this date doesn't work, but I could take a wee bit of here and go a wee bit there, and we're working in harmony. In the same way, the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son were working in harmony in creation, all together involved in their own individual ways, doing their own role, because they are, are organized that way, but they were in perfect communion and perfect harmony because God is love, and it was an overriding principle of what he was doing there. So God's desire for a relationship is boundless. He created because he loved. He wants to love. It's his desire to love each of us and every one of us. His desire to show that love to us. You remember in the scriptures, uh, uh, Pastor was speaking about a couple of weeks ago there, but he talked about, you know, Adam walked with God. Enoch walked with God. Can you imagine that intimacy, that moment together? It speaks of Moses in the scriptures who was face to face with God as if to a friend. God's desire for individual relationship, intimacy, personal uh, moment together is overwhelming. He wants to embrace us all into the beloved. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved, he gave. See, you can, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And as a God of love, whose desire is to love and to show his love, he gave. Jesus came to earth and identified with us. Identified in the fact that he had a pulse, he had flesh, he had bones, he ate, he slept, he drank, he got tired, he got happy, he was sad. He identified with us and he spent so much time with sinners and he became known as a friend of sinners. And he identified with us whenever he was baptized. That moment, remember that moment when God spoke from heaven? The Father spoke from heaven. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The reaching out, crossing the gap. That moment where the beloved, the, the beloved incarnation, as it were, Jesus was there. His Father was speaking and the Holy Spirit was descending as a dove. In that moment, we had a glimpse of the beloved. And God said, this is my beloved son because he's doing what I want him to do. Because he is following the desires of my heart. He is reaching out to a fallen humanity, reaching out in love, offering the beloved. The darling of hell, heaven, some of the scripture, some of the songs call him. You know, that moment, can you imagine? It's hard for us to grasp that God and the Father and the, the Holy Spirit, and uh, they're in perfect communion, perfect intimacy, perfect knowledge. I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only say what he wants me to say. Does not the scripture say that? It's hard for us to grasp because we're finite, but the beloved was a moment, was a place of intimacy. It's, it's a permanent place. It's a permanent state, really of intimacy between God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's no squabbling over position, no pride, no seniority, no arguments. Jesus humbled himself and submitted to the Father's will. It's another scripture it says. Now, we once had that place. We once had that position. As I mentioned earlier, Adam walked in the cool of the day with God. 
can you imagine the conversations they had? You know, Adam, who, who knew no sin, who knew no, no uh, negativeness, he knew no of the corruption that we're familiar with. Adam walked with God. Can you imagine the conversations they had? Can you imagine them sharing ideas? God, I thought about this. Maybe we should put a rose bush over there. No, I, I, we don't know what went on, but could you imagine? They still met and they communicated together. They were in a relationship together. They shared ideas, I'm sure, dreams. We have ideas and dreams. They talked. You know, at that moment when I was in the garden, he was the apple of God's eye. You know, the apple of the eye, that phrase, it comes from an, a moment of intimacy. You know, if you, the, the apple of the eye was the middle part of the eye. And if you're standing so close to someone that you can see your reflection, that's whenever you say they're the apple of your eye because you have to be very intimate with someone to be that close. But then, as we all know, after that time of intimacy together in the garden, there was the fall. Man's first challenge, and he failed. God knew, can you imagine it? He knew the day before when he was walking in the garden. He knew the plan. He knew what was going to happen. And he walked through the garden with him and he talked to him like it was any other day. And he knew what was coming up. The Holy Spirit knew what was coming up and the Son knew what was coming up. He knew the man would believe the lies. You know, we look at, we look at his act of defiance of eating the tree and we, 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 we don't understand it. We, we question it. We go, why does that but in a world where everything was in harmony and everything was in peace, Adam effectively yelled at God, I don't believe you. I don't trust you. You're a liar. That's what he said to God. Could you imagine that? Can you imagine that? And it says whenever Jesus died on the cross, there was silence in the heavens. You can imagine there being silence in the heavens at that. I don't believe you. I don't trust you. You're a liar. That's going to break a relationship. That's going, to, that's going to affect a relationship. That's going to affect the way you communicate with people. The reverberations in heaven were loud and long-lasting. Can you imagine it? Since that day, we might not have said it, we might not have said those same words. We might not have, have uttered that against God as Adam didn't utter it. But we might not have said it, but we've said it in our hearts. As fallen people, we, we said to God, you know what? I don't really believe there is a God. I, I don't really trust God. You know what? All that stuff, you're all lying. We've said it. We've all been there. You don't have to, te- te- you don't have to, br- to open up the scriptures and come and do some big th- theological thing and explaining that man has fallen. We just have to look. Nothing is more documented than the fact that man has fallen. Man has broken that relationship with God. He's fallen out of that state, that condition with God where he was in. He was welcomed into the beloved. Frequently, God would walk with him. That was no more. Our actions and our thoughts... We replay over and over again, generation after generation, we replay the garden experience. We replay the same lies, the same offense to God. But the good news tonight is that there was a second garden. 
1 Corinthians 15 talks about the first man and the second man. It talks about the first Adam and the second Adam. It talks about Jesus who came as the second man. Jesus who came and he went to a garden, the garden of Gethsemane. Now it doesn't say all the things that went on in, in his conversation and what he was doing there and how he was praying. We're given an insight into it. But he came to that garden and after leaving the disciples a short way, he walked on a bit further and he stood alone. And I'm sure he had opportunities. He was a man. Yes, he was God, but he, has, he was a man. He had flesh. Nobody likes the idea of getting beaten, of getting pierced, of getting hung, of being shamed in front of people. Nobody likes that idea. But Jesus stood alone and he said, not my will, but thine. He had identified with us and he came as the second man. He was driven by the Father's plan, by the Father's love. And he wanted to share, to open up the door for a relationship with us. And he said, in essence, he said, I believe you, Father. I trust you, Father. Praise God. I'm glad there was a second garden. I'm, I'm glad someone else went there and did what we couldn't do. I'm glad that he opened the door. He, he said, here is the beloved, come. There's, there's, a, there's a way now that we could not have made ourselves. Remember John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He showed his love for us in that while we were sinners, he died for us. Even going back into the Old Testament, I found a verse, Zephaniah uh, 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. He is a God of love. And they are in intimate communion with each other and they have invited us to join them. So the rule of God is the rule of love. And it's important that we understand it in this context. We turned our backs on God, but God, but the God of love reached out for us. So I, I, I'm sure the angels were shocked. What is he doing? What is happening? But the God of love knew what he was doing. It says in Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Because of the great love with which he loved us. I know I'm speaking tonight on the, the we are accepted in the beloved, but you know what? God loves you. God loves you. No one else might love you. No one else might accept you for who you are. No one else might, must, might like you. But you know what? God loves you. God loves you. God's work of reconciliation is a completed work. The work at Calvary, the, the life that Jesus lived, it was completed. There's nothing more to do. We do not have a reluctant savior, but we have an eager, willing, and able one who is willing, willing to open the door for us. 
Now we'll go back to Ephesians 1 and 6 there. The next one, word I'm going to look at is the word accepted. I'm just going to read it again. Wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. We all desire acceptance. We all desire that approval, the nod of approval, the, the acceptance of our peers. The, um, we all desire it, whether you're a kid. When you're a kid in school, I can remember one guy who really desired acceptance. He used to bring sweets in all the time. And that was his way of trying to get acceptance. And everyone suddenly became very friendly with him. Uh, when you get uh, older, you, 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 it's whatever toys you have, it's places you've gone, it's experiences you've had, it's who you know, um, it's how you look. It's all things like that we're trying to do to manipulate, to gain acceptance. We all do it right through. It doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are, we all do it in, in some way or other. From friendships to relationships, we want to make ourselves acceptable to someone else. But the news tonight, as I said, we're looking at this scripture as the blueprint or as the idea of what God, how God looks at us. So the idea is that we are accepted by him. In Christ, we are accepted in the beloved, in him. Through his sacrifice, we have forgiveness, but he goes beyond that. He takes us into reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In Christ, we are a new creation. The unacceptable, those who were far away, those who were strangers to the promises of God, those who knew nothing of God, who walked in darkness, who walked by the light of their own understanding, people who were living in a lost world and going to a lost eternity. He has opened the door and he has made us accepted. This, this acceptance comes from our relationship with him. We are accepted because of him, not because of us, not because of how we look or what we do. That's why we don't get hung up on what we dress like in church and all that type of thing, because it's who we, who we are in him that matters. I have spoken to people and they're very uh, adamant about a certain you know, dress code and that type of thing. And I've been to foreign countries where the temperature doesn't allow for certain dress codes. And it doesn't matter if you want to wear whatever you want to wear, as long as you're, you're honoring God. You come with a heart that's open. We are accepted because of him, not because of us. And he views us again. Whenever we are close to him, he looks at us as the apple of his eye. God does take take special care of his children. He does look after his own. We have a complete and full acceptance with him. I can't stress it enough. It's not on us, not because of our merits, not because of our abilities, not because of anything we've done, but because of Christ, we are accepted. Complete and full acceptance. No longer on the edge of a relationship or in the shadows, but now fully aware no longer walking a path of solitude, despair, defeat, and a lost eternity, but now walking in relationship with him. Now we can have those moments walking in the cool of the day with him. It doesn't have to be a big, deep spiritual moment where we, we feel his presence, but it can be a moment where we talk to him and just pour out our hearts, pour out our fears, our hopes, our dreams. Talk to him and listen to what he says. Look at him the way he looks at us. Is it any wonder, fearfully, one, the fearful wonder of it, how they call, you know, talk about the second death, the separation from God? 
Is it any wonder? We, want it. we don't want that. We want to be in close with God. We want to have life. It speaks John 17, verse 3. says, And this is eternal life. They know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. This is eternal life, to know God, to be in a relationship with him, to be intimate, to be accepted into the beloved. You know, it's difficult to convey the grandeur of the idea, the message. It's difficult to put it into words, to articulate it the way it deserves. But the idea is there. I hope you're getting it. I hope you understand. We deserve judgment, but instead he gives us love, grace, and mercy. We've embraced you know, the idea of the prodigal son, such a wonderful image. You know, we might not have been, gone, have been with God and gone away, but we are now coming back to him and in, in love and enthusiasm and excitement, he embraces us, embraces us once again. So it says in scriptures that God does exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. All we could ask for was forgiveness, but he gives us acceptance into the beloved. We are received as his children. We are received the same way he receives Jesus. First John 12 says, But as many as he has received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The power to become the, power to become the sons of God is the exousiate, the authority, the right to become the sons of God. We now are embraced by God the same way he embraced Jesus. Now we have that right. We are accepted the same way he said, this is my beloved son. Now he looks in heaven, from heaven and he says, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. These are my beloved children. No longer in the cold or far from the things of God or strangers to the covenants and blessings. No longer strangers to the promises, but now brought very close indeed. Now we're embraced into the beloved. <coughs> as of the family of God, fully accepted, members of the beloved, um, with access to the throne of grace and the very ear of God. Our first father said, I don't believe you. I don't trust you. You're a liar. And now as believers, as people who have come to Christ, who have embraced him, so now we come to him and say, I believe in you that you died for me on Calvary. I trust that you're the Lord and God and I know that you're not a man that you should lie. Now that we are accepted into the beloved, it's not contingent on us, it's all contingent on him. Have you ever met someone that uh, knows your father, your mother? Have you ever met someone who knows your grandparents, great-grandparents, not your grandparents, you ever had a moment where you've met them in the street or you've met them at a, a funeral or an event or you, you've had that time together and they start to talk about the good old days and they talk about how things were when you're, whenever they spent time with your parents. Oh, I can remember going out here. I can remember doing that. Have you had that happen before? And you've had, you found yourself strangely, your affection for this person rising because of their relationship with your parent or grandparent? Have you had that moment? You feel, you feel a wee bit of a connection with them? You feel something towards them? You, you want to get to know them maybe a wee bit better? Or, or maybe if they were in a, in a position of, you know, they needed money or they needed help, you would reach out and help them just because of their relationship with your parent or grandparent? So too in the same way when it comes to God. When he looks at us, he says, uh, my son died for him. 
My son died for her. My son suffered for him. My son suffered for her. And I love him and her for his sake. That is to be accepted in the beloved. It says in Psalm 34, 15, that his eyes are on the righteous. But I want to just change that slightly, if I may. His eyes are on those who are in Christ, and his ears are open unto their cry. What more can be said? We have full acceptance into the beloved. I think there's one word that's missing from the verse. In Ephesians 1, 6, and the words freely, because he didn't have to do it. Freely, he has given us access into the beloved. No compulsion, no point of law, nothing could be used against him to force him to do it, but because he is a God of love, that was his desire. And he lavished his grace upon us and accepted us. I won't keep you long. The last word I want to look at there might not even be in the original, but the idea is in the original because it's, I've seen it in other translations. But in the King James, it's wherein. It says, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. This pastor was speaking today, this morning, about, um, about his fighting fears and doubts and, and anxieties and things that arise. And I was, getting a, I was panicking a wee bit that he might <laughs> stray over. But, you know, there's, there is a point where the de- devil comes against us, where fears naturally arise in us, where concerns come against us, and, and we slip back into a more natural way of thinking rather than a spiritual way of thinking. You know, it's common to man, it talks about in scriptures, there's, there's things that are common to men. I want to backtrack a wee bit there. Remember when I said about Jesus whenever he was baptized and he came out of the water and uh, the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Remember that moment, that high moment, the beginning of, of his ministry? If you go on, that was Matthew three seventeen. You go on into Matthew 4, verse 1. It says, and, and then the Spirit led him into the wilderness. You all know the story. Led him into the wilderness to be t- tried and tested and when the wilderness, after 40 days, the devil came to him. Remember the story? And the devil said to him, What? If thou be the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. If thou be the Son of God, cast yourself off this temple. If thou, or, and then if thou be the Son of God, bow down before me. Remember the idea? What did he say? If thou be the Son of God. What had just been said over him in the previous chapter? There was no chapters in the original written. 40 days before, what had been said over him? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. See, the devil didn't want to remind him of the fact that he was beloved. He wanted to question his position with God. He wanted to question his, what, his relationship with God. Doesn't the devil do that on us? Doesn't the devil come against us and get us to start questioning our relationship with God? It doesn't matter what the day we had or the week we had. We, we think things are going well. Oh, yes, I must be accepted in the beloved today. Things go bad, things happen, and we go, oh, no, I'm, I must just need a wee bit more grace to get back into the beloved. That's not the right. It's not right. God has accepted us. Wherein 
It is a point, it is a fixed point, it's a position. It's a fixed position. It's an undoubtable position. It's a sure position wherein you have been accepted into the beloved. The devil comes against us with all sorts of thoughts and doubts, especially young believers whenever they first come to Christ. But you know what? It's important as, as believers, as, as people of God, that we stand firm. That as pastor says, Dorian, we don't let our feelings be the thing that judges our relationship with God. We stand firm on the word. The devil came against Jesus and said to him, if thou be the son of God, if he had said to him, if thou be the beloved son of God, you know what he'd been doing? He'd been reinforcing the fact that he was the beloved son of God. Because then he would have remembered in that moment, he would have remembered the emotion, the feeling that God had said, this is my beloved son, the majesty of the moment. He would have remembered it every time he heard the word beloved. So he didn't do that. So as believers, it's important for us that we stir up ourselves, that we say over ourselves every morning, I am the beloved of God. I am accepted into the beloved. Because it's from that position then we can fight the battle that comes against us. Because battles come. You know, we talk about believers, uh, you know, we talk about being in the army of God and you know, putting on the full armor and the helmet of, and the shield and the sword. And we talk about these things and they're, they're important. But there's a point where we actually have to go to war. There's a point where we actually have to get into combat. Stand on the promises. Stand on what God has said about us. And if you stand on the fact that wherein we have been accepted into the beloved because of Christ, if you stand, start from that point, then you'll have a good starting point. It'll be an easy week for you. I'll tell you that much. And I just want to finish with just reading that verse again. <coughs> to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. So if the enemy comes against you this week and tries to tell you all sorts of lies, just tell him to go to hell. I am accepted in the beloved. <laughs>